Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates the United States has had about 140 million COVID-19 infections since the start of the pandemic. Dr. William Schaffner is here to speak with us today about the clinical implications of that recent estimate. Dr. Schaffner is the medical director of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, a professor of preventive medicine, and a professor of infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Schaffner. Now, 140 million people, that's about half the country. Can you explain the significance of that number? Yeah, Jessica, it's huge, isn't it? And it certainly indicates that a very, very substantial proportion of our population has been infected by this virus in the form of one of its variants over the last two years. This is particularly true ever since Omicron came on the scene because it is so extraordinarily contagious and it's been widely spread across the country producing natural infection. That, along with all the vaccination we have done, has actually led to a diminution in cases over much of the country, a reduction in hospitalizations, and as we all know, a movement toward removing masks and trying to proceed into whatever we can define as a new normal. Right. So why is that number? And of course, we can draw our own conclusions. But in your own words here, why is that number significantly higher than the 74.3 million confirmed COVID-19 cases across the U.S.? Yeah, sure. There's a big difference, 140 million versus 74 million confirmed cases. We need to remind ourselves, this virus in all of its guises is, while it's widely spread, it does not always cause illness. Some people acquire infection and never become sick at all. No symptoms. Others develop a very mild illness akin to a common cold and do not present themselves to a healthcare provider, and even if they do present themselves, they may not get tested. And so you can see that many people can be infected, but not appear on the testing rolls as positive. And that accounts for this very, very large difference between 70 odd million people uh, confirmed positive versus the estimates of the extent that this virus has gone beyond that to, in effect, double the number of people who experienced infection sometime in the last two years. Now, we've got some numbers and statistics. The CDC estimates nearly 60% of children aged 18 years or younger, almost half of people aged 18 to 49 years, 37% of people aged 50 to 64 years, and 23% of people age 65 or older have been infected with COVID-19 in the United States. What are the clinical and practical guidelines or practice guidelines rather of those estimates? Yeah, so these data are going to surprise people because they anticipated that among adults, there would be much more widespread infection. And I think it does indicate since adults 
accepted vaccine much more than older adults did, than middle-aged adults, than adolescents and children, just the reverse has happened, right? This virus has spread, particularly in its early variations, such as Delta, among unvaccinated people. So this has produced these higher proportions of people in younger age groups that have been infected uh, than older. It remains true that older people, if they are infected, are more likely to get serious disease, to have to be hospitalized. But as you can see, this virus is an all-age opportunity infector. <laughs> no matter where you are, uh, if you're unvaccinated, it's going to eventually find you and infect you. The younger you are, the less likely you are to get severe disease, not zero. The older you are, again, the more hazardous this virus is to your health. Now, this is an important one here. What gaps remain in the research on COVID-19 immunity? Well, my answer to this uh, relates to the last thing I said, and I'm, I'm going to add that the implications of the data that we've been talking about really emphasize the importance, the continuing importance of vaccination. If you haven't been vaccinated at any age group that's now eligible, and as we speak, it's everyone age five and older, please get vaccinated. If you've been vaccinated and haven't been boosted, please get boosted. Uh, we haven't talked about hospitalization data, but the hospitalization data indicate that the difference between your risk of being hospitalized if you're vaccinated, very low, unvaccinated, very high, somewhere between, it depends on which month you're measuring, between 13 and 30% higher risk of your being hospitalized if you've been unvaccinated. Now, as to gaps, I would think the single gap that bothers us the most is the duration of protection of both getting the natural infection and the vaccine. We know you're protected. The question is how durable that protection is. For how long does it extend? This will be very determinative in deciding whether we need boosters and at what interval. That's not all been decided yet because we don't still know for how long protection lasts, either after vaccine or the natural infection. Now, the NFID annual conference on vaccinology research is on April 11th and 12th, 2022. What will be the focus of this conference? Yeah, this is an annual conference and I'm looking forward to it. The annual conference on vaccinology research, the ACVR, will include, as usual, provocative discussions about the latest developments in vaccinology research, as well as the impact of COVID-19 on the future of vaccine development. Let me give you some examples. We'll be talking about pandemic communications challenges. This has been much discussed. And related to that, overcoming the global threat of vaccine hesitancy. There are vaccine-hesitant people all around the world, and sometimes this takes different characteristics in different nations. We'll also have sessions on using COVID-19 experiences 
to develop more effective vaccines and how to be better prepared in anticipation of the next pandemic due to pathogen X. Uh, the wonderful thing about this conference is that it has sessions on basic science, laboratory research, and animal studies, and then also reports of early clinical trials of vaccines, as well as population-based epidemiologic and vaccine evaluations of the impact of vaccine use in large populations. So whatever your interest in vaccines is, you'll have some sessions that relate exactly to your interest and the others will stretch your brain. That's a wide range of topics. If you could name a few, what do you hope will be some of the key take home messages from the conference? Well, as usual, the participants will learn and will be able to discuss recent scientific advances and novel research opportunities. And discussions will center on the role of vaccines in preventing and mitigating emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases. Although virtual, there will be the opportunity for people to see each other. And I recall that when I first entered the field and went to meetings and was able to see uh, prominent people give talks, it was great to be able to put a face and a voice to a name that I'd read in the literature. And we can do that even virtually. Is there anything else that you'd like to add from our conversation today? Well, thanks, Jessica, for the opportunity. ACVR 2022 will be conducted, yes, as I said, entirely online. And registered participants can experience it live on April 11 and 12 this year or on demand through May 31st without having to travel. That is an advantage. They can learn more at www.nfid.org slash ACVR. Perfect. And we'll put that on our website as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Schaffner. We really appreciate it. Always a pleasure.